right, thanks, Braden. If you're in Roy Jr., go ahead and go to Sean back there and David. They'll take you guys down there to walk through Genesis 41. Um, well, if, uh, if we were to walk through the entire chapter, we'd be here for probably like 90 minutes. But you probably don't want to listen to me preach for 90 minutes. So what we're going to do is just do about half of it. All right, we're going to do half uh, this Sunday, and then Brody will do half, uh, the, the rest of the half of that chapter uh, next Sunday. Um, I, I don't usually do this, but if I were to give um, a title to this sermon, it would be God is in control, right? Like God's in control, that's the, the idea, the theme, we see it over and over again. Um, and in studying this, I think sometimes when we read our Bibles, like, um, we forget that the chapters weren't always there, the verses weren't always there, um, and so, and especially when you're, like, walking through chapter by chapter, you know, the, they break up. Um, you can't read uh, Genesis 41.1 without knowing Genesis 40.23, right? So, so go back and look at that right now um, and, and see what it says. If you remember from last week, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Okay, and, and, and we're diving right in because this is, there's a lot to cover, okay? Um, and then in, uh, in the first verse, it says, after two whole years. So how long did the cupbearer forget Joseph? Two years, right? And it doesn't say just two years. It says two whole years or two full years, right? Feel the weight of that, like of how long that actually is. Like there, it, he's emphasizing that this was a long time. Right, what a test of faith for Joseph. Like, can you imagine? Right, he's been a faithful slave, a prisoner for 13 years, and yet he's being mistreated and forgotten in return. And, and he should have been set free, right? He correctly interpreted the dreams for the cupbearer and the baker, and he should have been set free right after that, but he was forgotten. And we talked about this a little bit last Last week, if you haven't heard last week's sermon, go back and listen to it on podcast or on the website. But um, you could be wondering, if God is sovereign, if God is in control, why would he leave Joseph in prison to feel forgotten if God's in control? Well, we don't understand all of God's mysterious ways, right? We, we know he always has a purpose for why he does what he does. We don't understand why all the time. But God often uses long periods of waiting to prepare people for how he wants to use them in history, right? Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years for Isaac, the promised son, to be born. And, and Jacob struggled for 20 years with Laban. Moses worked for 40 years as a shepherd with Jethro. David had to wait 22 years to be the king of Israel, even though he was anointed and he knew it was going to happen. Still had to wait. Even Jesus didn't start his own ministry until he was 30 years old. And so there's a time and a season of preparation and waiting that God uses to shape and form people before he uses them. And sometimes God works slowly, as we see with these years of, of waiting. But sometimes, as we're going to see tonight in our passage, he works really quickly. All right, we're going to see God in his perfect timing sovereignly bring Joseph from the pit to the palace. All right, so let's pray, and then we're going to walk through this passage together. Father, we do praise you for your word. God, we humbly admit that your word 
is what we need. Your word is sufficient. We don't need to hear what I have to say. We need to hear what your inerrant, infallible word has to say to us tonight. So Holy Spirit, speak. I pray that you would unplug our ears. Lord, that you would turn hearts and minds to you. That you would open up the eyes of our hearts that we might see the beauty of your word and the beauty of your gospel through this passage. And our lives would be changed because of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Genesis 41. Let's look at it together. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. I would imagine that he probably woke up in like a cold sweat, right? Like that's a nightmare to, to when you just sit back and, and think about what he just dreamed. Verse 5, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Right, so this was a, a rough night for Pharaoh, okay? Like, he, he just had some perplexing dreams. Now, it kind of starts out beautiful, right? You, you think, I oh, was standing by the, by the Nile. Like, that's, that's pretty. It's kind of normal, right, for where he lives in his context. But then it turns horrifying. I mean, can you imagine, like, now, I've never seen a cow and be like, that's beautiful. You know, but, but can you imagine, like, healthy big cows, like, Man, that, that looks like a, a healthy heifer, you know? Sure. Um, but, like, but cows, we know cows eat grass. They don't eat meat. So can you imagine seeing a cow eat another cow? Like, that's horrifying C- because cows don't eat meat. And, and usually it's troubling to think about this, unless you're reading through the Wingfeather Saga that Andrew Peterson wrote because he created these creatures called toothy cows, and they eat everything. It's pretty scary. Um, but my family's currently walking through those, those books in that series, and it's really troubling, like, when you think about some of the things that he writes. But, like, you can imagine, this is, this is ugly, right? Not only were the cows ugly, but this is a terrifying dream. But back in chapter 37, we know that Joseph dreamed twice, right? And then we saw that the, in chapter 40, the cupbearer and the baker had two dreams, and here we see that Pharaoh dreams twice. And this is a pattern, and it has meaning behind it, right? Twice means it was fixed. And we're going to see that in verse 32, and Joseph says it, and God gives him this interpretation. But it means because it happened twice, because you have two dreams, it's a done deal. It's going to happen. And I'm sure that, like all of us, like when I was talking with my boys this morning about this passage, um, I was like, have y'all had any nightmares, any bad dreams? you know, and then get to hear a little bit about that, Um, and that can go on a a long rabbit trail. But I'm sure that all of us have had troubling dreams where we've woken up in the middle of the night, and we're like, what in the world was that, you know, or where you couldn't go back to sleep. But 
We need to understand Pharaoh here in his situation. I think we need to get some context to understand a little bit more about Egypt, a little bit about Pharaoh, right? So I did a little bit of research because I wasn't like extremely knowledgeable on this. But Egypt was polytheistic, meaning they believed in more than one God. And they believed that the sun God was supreme deity, right? But, but like in the Nile Valley, they had many, many gods. They had crocodile gods, right? They worshiped the sun. They, they thought the Nile brought life, right? It was central to everything that they did. And in ancient Egypt, the Pharaoh himself was not just considered the king, right? He rules in the land, but he was considered to be an avatar, an avatar for the gods, that he would speak, and, and that that's the God speaking when he's speaking, when he's giving rules. And, and so he was trusted with, with power over life and death, and, and his word was absolute, and angering him meant possible death. Okay, so like this is a serious situation, and, and the, the Egyptians believed that dreams were super important, not only in general, just to the commoners, but Pharaoh, that's the God speaking. Okay, and so the dreams were like oracles. They brought messages from the gods, and, and Pharaoh would have had access to the best magicians in all the land, the best sorcerers, all the best wise men, right? He had access to them in his kingdom. Despite all of this, Pharaoh finds himself in the same situation as the cupbearer and the baker last chapter, right? Like, he's, he's troubled. He's discouraged. He, he doesn't know, right? He, he doesn't know what this means, and nobody can tell him. And he's not only, like, upset because nobody can explain the dreams to him, but that word troubled in the Hebrew means he's beat down. He's agitated, right? He's disturbed by them. He's not going to forget them. He has to know what they mean. And so the magicians of Egypt can't interpret God's dreams given to Pharaoh. And we see in verses 9 through 13 a summary of Genesis chapter 40, right? So we see that through the perspective of the cupbearer, we see what happens in chapter 40, in verses 9 through 13. Let's look at it. It says, Then the cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Hey, nobody else can answer your dreams, but I remember, I remember my offenses. I remember what I did to you one day when, when Pharaoh was angry and his servants and put me and the chief cup baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. And a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted it to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. So finally, finally here, the cupbearer remembers Joseph. He finally remembers. But remember, it's been two whole years. Two full years. But he remembers and he can relate to Pharaoh. He's seen this before because he's experienced it, right? He, he sees the cupbearer would have, would have had access to Pharaoh often, even through all the magicians and everybody coming up to him, right? And he sees and hears. He's like, man, I remember being troubled like that. I remember being downcast. I remember being discouraged because nobody could explain my dreams to me. And so notice that he doesn't, he didn't even pay attention to Joseph so much that he remember his name, right? He's like, this Hebrew guy, this Hebrew lad, this little boy, this servant, he, he actually interpreted our dreams correctly, perfectly, and it came to pass. And so the cupbearer is giving troubled Pharaoh some hope here. He's like, there's actually somebody who can, right? There's somebody, this is good news. 
for you, Pharaoh. There's somebody who can give you an answer because of what Joseph had said had come to pass. But the question is, could Joseph do it again? Could Joseph do what no one else could do for Pharaoh? In verses 14 through 21, Joseph is brought from the pit to the palace because Pharaoh calls him out, right? And I want you to see this amazing reversal. All through Joseph's story, we've seen Joseph go from high to low and high to low, right? From being dressed well to being thrown into a pit. And now we're going to see him go from the pit to the palace. Watch verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. They quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, just as I had never seen, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the seven plump cows, but when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. And so he gives a little bit more detail here. Right? He's so troubled by this dream that he remembers it in vivid detail. You've probably had dreams where you couldn't remember exactly what happened. He remembers in vivid detail what has happened. Right? And don't miss this. In this section, verse 16 is the central verse in this entire chapter. Right? Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So in chapter 40, if you remember, nobody was around in the prison. Nobody's around in the pit when Joseph says to the cupbearer and the baker, hey, God gives interpretations to dreams. And here in verse 16, with all eyes on Joseph, before Pharaoh, everybody's watching, all the magicians, everybody's watching. Joseph isn't changing his tune. He's not changing, right? He's the same man. He's got the same stance, the same belief. His faith is still strong. He's trusting in God, and he doesn't take any credit for what he's done, right? Th this is his chance right here. He's before Pharaoh. There's no higher authority in the land, right? He, and this is his chance to be vindicated, to be set free, to be seen as the man who can do what nobody else in the kingdom can do. But Joseph points away from himself. And he says, it's all God. It's all God. And I couldn't help but wonder while reading this, like, do I do that? Like, do you do that? Do you give God all the credit? It's, it's all God. It's not in me. It's, it's, all, it's all God. Because Joseph knows that without God, it's impossible to give Pharaoh the answer that he needs from his dreams. And so there's two very important things that we need to see in verse 16. Number one, is that when Joseph says, it's not in me, that's a really bad English translation in, in the ESV, okay? It, he says, it's not in me. In the Hebrew, it's one emphatic phrase. One word, no, no, it's no, not me, no. You, you remember who he's talking to, 
Okay, this is Pharaoh. This is the king of Egypt, a man considered to be a god, right? Who could have Joseph instantly killed. He's just a Hebrew slave. And, and this man has just said, no one can interpret my dream. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can do it. And what is Joseph's sh- his, his response is absolutely shocking. It's humbling, right? And we, do, we aren't told the timing of the phrase or how he said it, the inflection of it. But I would imagine that he immediately says, no, not me. It's not in me. I can't, but God can. Did he let it sit for a while when he said, I can't? I don't know. Like, Pharaoh could have been like, get this guy out of here. Stop wasting my time. But he immediately says, but God can. Right? In the NIV, it says, I cannot do it. And the CSB says, I'm not able to. How often do we say that? Or do we take credit? Do we function in our own strength, right? And say, oh, I got this. I can do this. Instead of saying, I can't, but God can. I'm not able to, but God is able to. And the second important thing we need to see in this verse is that when what we don't see in our English translation is in verse 16, when Joseph says God, he's using a, a definite article. And he says, he says, when he says the name of God, he says the God, Elohim. Th- this is the one true God who will answer Pharaoh favorably. It, because all the other gods have failed. So, so surely the Egyptian uh, magicians and wise men were standing by cowering in fear and shame because they couldn't get an answer from their gods. Because their sorcery wasn't working. The magic wasn't working. And here, in utter boldness, Joseph says, it's not within me, but there's one true God. He's the God. He's the only true God who can give interpretation to dreams. So this scene reminds me of one of my favorite books that I read to my boys. It's called The God Contest, right? And, and it's a, a clever retelling of the battle of the gods on Mount Carmel between Baal and Yahweh. And you can read all about it in 1 Kings 18. Right? If you don't know the story, if you're not familiar with it, then, then the prophets of Baal are competing against Yahweh to see who, whose God is going to answer. Who's the true God? Who's going to rain down fire and burn up this, this sacrifice on the altar? And what everybody figures out and everybody sees is that there's only one God, that Yahweh is God. There is no other God. Right? And so this is, this is a beautiful like, comparison and a contrast between fake gods, real God. Right? So Pharaoh continues to share his second dream to Joseph. He says, I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, which was a sign of superabundance and great plenty, full and good. Seven ears withered then and thin, blighted by the east wind, sprouted up after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but once again, there's no one who could explain it to me. So the magicians, the diviners, the astrologers, the horoscopists, wise men are all at a loss. No one can give Pharaoh a satisfactory interpretation. Maybe people tried to give it. This is what it could mean. And he's like, no, 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 no. I know that's not what it means. I know deep down that's not what it means. We're not told that. Well, the, what, we are, what we do know is that the secret dark arts practiced by the Egyptians could not work. They couldn't give an answer. But the one true God 
through his servant can. And as we read verses 25 to 26, I want you to notice the repetition and the doubling that's happening in this passage. God gives Pharaoh a 14-year look into the future because of these dreams, right? And think about this. Think about the mercy that is contained here. How, how gracious and, and generous and merciful is God to give Pharaoh this look into the future, right? So God speaks through Joseph. Let's read it together, starting in verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all of the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. So the famine is going to swallow up all those years of plenty to where it wouldn't even have looked like there was seven years of plenty. So this is, this is really, really bad news, right? Th- this is saying, hey, Pharaoh, the, the heartbeat of your Egyptian economy is about to plummet. At the end of 14 years, you'll be no more. Verse 32, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. So it's going to happen fast. He's going to glimpse in the future. This is a reminder that Joseph still has faith in God. He believes God's word will come to pass. Now listen to Joseph's proposed plan to handle this in the future. Verse 33, now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him above the, over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. So what Joseph doesn't know is that he basically just wrote his own job description by giving this proposal, right? Pharaoh may be the king of Egypt, He may have authority in the land, but what he is learning through Joseph right now is that God is the one who's sovereign over all. But Pharaoh's not in control of the future. He doesn't even know. He can't even interpret his own dream. But God is sovereign over all. God is in control. And so the famine would consume Egypt. It's going to be, hey, Pharaoh, your kingdom, your reign, all your people, it's going to be blotted off the face of the map. This is... This is bold for Joseph to say these things, right? Like, like this is a, a very dangerous interpretation to give to Pharaoh. Joseph not only provides the interpretation, which spells out certain doom for Egypt, but he also puts forward a plan to solve the problem. Can you imagine the PR nightmare after hearing his plan? Right? Like, this is, like, no one thinks in the midst of, of plenty— No one thinks about saving up 
right? No, no one's like in the, I think like we should like save up for the future. Everything's going really well right now. No one thinks of lack when there's plenty, when everything's bountiful, when it's, when it's flowing in, right? But it's extremely wise to store up when things are going well. So how will Pharaoh respond? In pride and reject this interpretation? Or will he respond in appreciation? Because if Pharaoh doesn't listen to God's word, then Joseph and everyone else will die. Basically, what this passage is teaching us is it's God's way or it's death. Right? Like, if you don't listen to God's word, if you don't live according to his word, it's death. Hey, Pharaoh, this is what's going to happen. Here's the future. If you don't listen to God speaking to you through your dreams, you're going to die, your family's going to die, your empire's gone. So it's God's way or death. Is that not true for us today? It's God's way or death. So what's Pharaoh's response going to be? Verse 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all of the land of Egypt. So here Joseph is wise, discerning, prudent, bold, and Pharaoh sees it. He knew it. Right? Alan Ross in his commentary said that the Pharaoh and his wise men were unable to do anything other than submit to the counsel of the Hebrew interpreter in whom the wisdom of the Spirit of God resided. Right? Pharaoh might not have believed in Elohim, but he sure believed that Joseph was gifted with this divine interpretation. He was willing to follow this plan. No matter how powerful of a king Pharaoh was in Egypt, he's put in his place because even kings have to answer to a higher authority. And it's a good reminder for all of us that God is in control, right? Like no matter what your position is, no matter what your status is, God is in control. All pharaohs, all kings, all empires, all emperors, all presidents are subject to God's sovereign control. No one gets out underneath his sovereign control. God, through Pharaoh, elevates Joseph from slave to sovereign ruler, just like that, right? For 13 years, he suffered in slavery and in prison, and in one day, he goes from the pit to the palace. Only God could do this. It's absolutely amazing how fast things can change, is it not? What a reminder for the people of Israel as Moses wrote this and as they're hearing the book of Genesis read to them, God gave this to them to remember, to remind them, hey, I'm in control. I'm in control. You were there, now you're here. I'm in control still. I was in control there. I'm in control here. I'll be in control in the future. God gave these dreams to Pharaoh and God gave Joseph their interpretation. God graciously gives a sneak peek into the future. Why? to preserve his people. Because God strategically and sovereignly orchestrated the events that led to this conversation between Pharaoh and Joseph. 
He strategically and sovereignly orchestrated the events that led to Israel being delivered from Egypt. And he strategically and sovereignly orchestrated events that led to Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. And he's in control still of history. From individuals to the destiny of nations, God is sovereignly working to preserve and protect and provide for his people. In his perfect timing, God sovereignly brings Joseph from the pit to the palace. But what about us? What about us today? What about you? What about your situation? In Egypt and the ancient Near East, people relied on magic, omens, divination, dream interpretations for their own benefit. Right? It was a means to determine the future and provide understanding of reality. The same is true today. People still try to rely on astrology and other new age mechanisms to provide meaning for life. You don't have to go very far to find this stuff, right? Like there's a place in Murphy that sells like healing stones, crystals, right? These things that they say have magical properties, dream catchers, like other mysterious items that you can go buy to find healing and peace and meaning and purpose and safety. But we know, just as in the story of Joseph, that magicians provide no answers, for life. Meaning, purpose, the future belongs to the one true God. So we must rely and rest in him for significance and satisfaction in life. So do you trust in God's perfect timing? Do you trust in God's sovereign ways? Because Joseph deflected praise and acclaim and credit away from himself. Joseph doesn't want to take the honor or glory away from God. No, it's not within me. Right? Do we do this? Do we respond this way? Do we say to God, God, I can't, but you can. Right? The Lord's looking for faithful, humble servants like Joseph. God, I, I, I can't, but I believe you can. God, I, I couldn't do this, but you already did this. Simple statements of faith that point away from ourselves and point to the Lord. So simply look to the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Point people to Jesus, the one true God. Now, we don't have a 14-year look into the future, but we don't need one. God's given us something better than that. He's given us himself in Christ. He's given us his infallible word. He's given us his spirit to dwell inside of us. He is building his church so all we need to do is look to the one true God. Trust in his son. Point people to Jesus. Submit to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as we do these things, we might be just as surprised as Joseph at how God might choose to use us in human history for his glory, for our joy, and for others' good. Let's pray. Father, this story is amazing because it's true, because it's history, because it really happened. And we praise you for being the one and only true God. We praise you because there is no other God. There's no one else who can do what you can do. There's no one else who, who has done what you have done. 
You are faithful and you are true. You are gracious and you are oh so kind and merciful. That you would give us your word that we could learn from history. That we could see how you've worked through human history. That we could see that you are trustworthy and that you are true. That we could see how you preserve people and work mysteriously. Help us to believe Help us to know and rest in and trust in your sovereign control. Forgive us when we try to seek to take control of our lives, when we, we try to take control of other people's lives. Father, help us to surrender to you, to give up, to say, I can't do this. I don't want to do this anymore. It's not within me anymore to do this, to not take credit for anything that you do through us, but to quickly deflect and point people to you, Jesus. To say that I can't do this, but my God can. And we praise you for this awesome gospel that you already have done what we could never do for ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.